We're uh, delighted to have Jesse Colburn here with us tonight, uh, a dear friend that we've gotten to know each other over the last uh, year and a half or so. And um, Jesse, I'm so excited for them because today, Sunday, this Sunday, this morning, this morning, yeah, was the first Sunday that they kind of fully went out as Move City Church. Right. Out from underneath the, the umbrella of Pantano, which is where we launched from. They were the church plant that launched out from Pantano prior to us. And so we're just super excited to have you here. Right on, and uh, you're a dear, dear friend. And uh, I really appreciate your wisdom in ministry and the way you parent. I'm <laughs> proud of you for that. And I'm proud just to be your friend. And so excited for the word that you have for us tonight. And uh, Jesse was a former UFC fighter. And so we're really <laughs> delighted that he's moved into ministry. <laughs> and... I don't know. If it was a big that. turn. It was, it was a, a big, big change. Yeah. I don't know if they bought it or not, but no. have fun. <laughs> I was not a UFC fighter, um, but that'd be really awesome. I thought about going to that. Uh, yeah, like you said, my name is Jesse, pastor at Move City Church in Sierra Vista. I'm really excited to be here tonight. Thanks for having me. Um, I remember when Elements was just an idea on the back of a napkin at Buffalo Wild Wings. So, and this is what it's become. Isn't that awesome? I mean, give God some glory. That's right. Never underestimate the napkin, the power of the napkin, right? So if you're, this is your first time at church, you can go tell your friends. We talked about napkins, the power of napkin. Never underestimate it. Jack asked me to come and teach and just kind of speak from my heart. Um, whatever God puts there. I know that you guys just finished sort of the realign series, and I think we're going into July. You'll be hearing from a couple different speakers and things, so... This, this message might kind of seem out of place. It's just going to sit here tonight. It's not necessarily connected with anything else. I don't, I'm not all the way in tune with what's all going on. Um, and um, so I'm just kind of praying that this lands um, in a really good place tonight, that your heart's open and that somehow you're sort of moved by this. Um, and I, I really hope it's a challenge, and I hope that it gives you a little bit of insight that you haven't heard from God's Word yet. I'm going to try to show you some things maybe that we hadn't looked at before, haven't noticed. But I, I just want to bring a simple message tonight. I, I'm not really a super complicated guy, and I, I don't know where all you are at. Um, there's no possible way for me to know every single person and where you're at tonight. But wherever you're at, I want you to understand that God has a purpose for your life. And <laughs> it, I just sort of feel like what you have to hear right here from the right off the bat is, just relax. Take a deep breath. It's okay. Um, God knows you. He has a purpose for your life. And, and it's probably way beyond your line of sight. <laughs> it's probably beyond your lifetime even that he has this purpose in mind. And I think what you have to understand is that your plans for your life are very small. <laughs> you don't realize that, but your, your plans are so small. God's revealing like a, just a bigger picture for your life. And, and he's writing a much bigger story. God can use you to make an impact over multiple generations. Ah, this, this should be exciting to us. See, when we see a seed, we see a tree, right? We think the seed will build a tree. But when God sees a seed, he sees forests upon forests. <laughs> he just sees so much. And so the word for you tonight is this word potential. Um, it's not necessarily a very biblical word, whatever, but I like it. And the root word is potent. I like that, you know, potent. It's kind of means strong. There's some strength there. And so it's kind of like opening up strength. Um, basically, it means the capacity to develop into something. Uh, and it has with it this expectation or a probability that you will do something with your life. You have potential. Okay, so I want you to kind of think about that. 
Uh, and having potential doesn't really mean anything if you don't do something with it. All right, if I told you you have potential, um, that doesn't really do anything unless you actually act on that potential. None of us want to die and have on our headstone, he had potential, right? <laughs> like, well, <laughs> no, that's not, you want to actually do something with it. So, uh, and <laughs> you have potential um, that God expects us to be faithful with, okay? He has a purpose for your life. You have some potential. And I think God really expects you to be faithful with that potential, to do something with it. Um, he's created you in a certain way. So faithful kind of means responsible in some ways. Um, it means that you're going to work at it. And I think sometimes we want to skip the work and just be famous. <laughs> you know, man, if I could just be famous and not have to work at it or do any work. Um, but faithful is better. And you guys know this. I'm, elements, you know this. If you've been around here for a while, you know that you exist for someone else's fame, <laughs> right? That we gather for the fame of Jesus. Not to make ourselves famous, but to make Jesus famous. So um, I kind of want to show you how to be faithful to what God has given you, not just get famous, but I want to show you how to think about more than just yourself for a moment and think more even than beyond your lifetime. <laughs> I know that's crazy to think about, but if I want fathers, I want you to be thinking about your grandkids in this moment. Um, maybe you had parents who had a certain sort of faith and you're kind of struggling to find your own faith, I want you to start thinking about building a legacy. <laughs> so not even just finding a faith, but just a whole legacy of faith. Um, so this word potential, um, and, and not just seeing potential in yourself, but being able to see it in others. And that's kind of the turning place right here. It's like, you know, you guys understand you got potential, but I want to show you how you can see potential in other people and how that when you look for potential in others, how that can actually bring out something in your life. It's kind of interesting that Jesus, even when he invited people to follow him, he would, he would say, come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Did you know that? So even in his, he would meet somebody for the first time, he would tell them he's going to make them into something. He's going to build their life to do something great. Not just come, follow me, and you're going to be a great person, but I'm going to use you to make other people's lives better. He's going to use us to make an impact in the world. And so the idea here is that I want you to be faithful with your potential to bring out potential in others. <laughs> I think I want to say that again. So I want you to be faithful. Are we being faithful with our potential to bring out the potential in others? That probably could be a message in itself. So just take that in and maybe write that down. Are you being faithful with your potential to bring out the potential in other people. Um, and your greatest potential is finding that potential, that power in other people. Okay. This word potential means a lot to me. Uh, it, it's, it's really a powerful thing um, in my life. And it's been, it's built me up. Um, I, I've had a lot of mentors in my life who have seen something in me, called it out and, as many times actually like teaching me what to do with it and how to grow. Anybody ever have a mentor like that? Somebody saw potential in you and spoke about it, said, man, you, you have potential in this area. You can do something with this. So tonight I want to show you how to make other people succeed. Everybody excited about that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah usually we come into the room asking what's in it for us, right? <laughs> and I'm kind of switching, switching it around. I've learned this by watching 
other people do it in my life and in others. And it's be, just become something I value so strongly that I had to share it tonight. Just how we can invest in other people's lives. And we see this so extravagantly in the life of Jesus. In Philippians chapter 2, it says, You should have this same attitude in your life as Jesus did. That he, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. He, be, he was made in human likeness and humbled himself even to the point of death, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Christ is Lord. See, we see that. It makes sense. Okay, we, we know this is in the life of Jesus. It's something that we almost expect to see in Jesus, but this attitude works. We use our lives to make other people's lives better. That's what we're here on earth. That's your purpose is to make other people better. And I want to look at an Old Testament character. His name's Jonathan. I've never heard anybody preach on Jonathan in this way before. Usually we talk about Jonathan as the friend of David. Anybody ever heard of the story or seen a man David in the Bible? Anybody heard of David? There's a statue of David. He's a big, you know, pretty famous character in the Bible. And sometimes we talk about Jonathan as being them being best friends. So I just want to look at this guy, kind of study how he was able to invest his life in someone else and see someone else reach their potential. Um, Jonathan, when he was 15 years old, his dad became king when his dad was 30. So his dad's 30 years old and he's 15. That means that his dad, Saul, had him when he was 15. So, and a lot of times he held that against Jonathan. Saul would kind of always get on like, you know, we don't know your mom is, (laughs) you know, you're just, you know, an accident basically is what he always told Jonathan what he was. So he's 15 years old. His dad becomes king. And then in the Bible, you can see this contrast between Saul and his son, Jonathan, because Saul was afraid, very reluctant, very impatient man who was just a royal screw up when it comes to being king. And he has a son, Jonathan, who's brave and strong and just fierce and faithful. And that's why I want to look at Jonathan's life today. Um, so we, I want to look at Jonathan. When he was 15, he takes on an army, takes on an entire army by himself. Um, you know, kings would end up being in war with each other. And I want to show you this verse of what Jonathan, how Jonathan's heart was. And if you can open up, uh, find a device or open up the, find a Bible and open up to First Samuel chapter 14, I just want you to see so you can understand kind of where Jonathan's coming from, the kind of man that Jonathan was, okay? And basically, he's just a boy. He's probably between 9 and 15 in this, in this passage. So they're, they're in the middle of a battle in war, and Saul is just sitting there waiting to see what's going to happen. This is what Jonathan does, kind of sneaks away, takes one other guy with him, and, he, and this is what Jonathan's talking to his, his armor bearer. Says we're in verse six of chapter fourteen. It says Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, "Come, let's go over to the outpost of these uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. In fact, sometimes God uses few. God actually wants to use less people so that God gets the glory. Jonathan knows this. He's like, hey, God can do this. We can do this. We're just two of us. We can take on the whole army." And so he's either really insane, like he's a crazy guy, or he's got a lot of faith. His armor bearer is equally as insane as him and says, like, do, it all, do all that you have in mind. I'm with you, heart and soul. You always need that 
somebody that can come with you, heart and soul. Jonathan said, come on, let's cross over toward the men and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are. If not, we'll go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we'll climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines. The Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan and his armor bearer, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into our hands. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with the armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed behind him, killing them. Okay. In the first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about an acre and a half. It says, then if you continue on, there was a panic that was sent by God and they, the whole Philistine army is in total confusion. They end up just taking each other out. So Jonathan and this one guy with him acted in faith, did something totally impossible, just acted in bravery. And I think this story became legend in the Israelite history. You know, this 15 year old boy takes on the entire army and wins. And so that's the picture of Jonathan. I want you to see his dad is King. He's next in line to be King. You follow me? He is a brave man. He, he takes on an entire army with just him and one other guy and wins. I mean, this guy, he's got some serious potential, right? <laughs> he's going to make an awesome King. Now, uh, 20 years, about 20 years later, Jonathan watches another 15 year old boy kill a giant. And we know the story uh, probably you've maybe heard of it or whatever with him, David and Goliath. Okay. Jonathan is there watching David take on this, this giant, you know, and David's just a little boy. He's taking on the entire army. And I wonder if David looked up to Jonathan a little bit. David probably remembered the stories about Jonathan's bravery. So he's kind of like, hey, we can take on anything. In fact, I want you to look at what David says. So we're a couple chapters over. 1 Samuel uh, chapter 17, verse 47. When, when David is going to take on Goliath. And that might be a well-known story, and maybe not, but um, it's a, like an impossible odds. This little boy with a little sling fighting this big giant who's a trained killer. Um, so verse 47, <laughs> David says this. Let's see, we're in uh, chapter 17, verse 47, right? Okay, you with me? <laughs> All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. He will give all of you into our hands. That's his, he's speaking to the enemy, speaking to the army. He's like, man, everybody here knows that God is way more powerful than you, and he's going to give you all into our hands. Where do you think he got that courage and that bravery from? He, he probably heard stories about Jonathan, but he's, he's got that same heart. He's just brave. He's like, hey, we're going to step up and we're going we're gonna to do what God's told us to do. So you've got Jonathan, who's probably in his late 30s at this point. Okay? And he sees this little boy, 15-year-old boy, take on the giant. And David is celebrated by doing that. Jonathan's, you know, next in line to be king. He sees this little boy 
sort of win a victory for the army. I wonder why Jonathan isn't out fighting, you know, and probably because Saul didn't want his son to have any sort of glory because he's already in his late thirties, right? He should be king already, but Saul's kind of trying to keep him back. And so what would be Jonathan's reaction? Okay. So Jonathan sees this happening. Jonathan sees a mighty warrior doing something just like he did when he was a kid. What do you think he would, his reaction is? So let me tell you how things work. Okay. And it's basically in any culture, anywhere around the world, there's this rule, an unspoken rule. If there's someone better than you, kill them. <laughs> That's the rule that we live by, right? If you see somebody who's better than you, who gets more attention, get rid of them, right? Because then it's going to take away from your glory. Jonathan's set up to be king. He has bravery too. And then there's this little boy <laughs> show, you know, trying to show him up. So having power, I think, is like, ha- is like a disease, really, that there's barely any cure for. When you, when you, have, a, when you have power, and see, Jonathan does. He's going to be king next. He can, he's basically second in line, next, next king of Israel. He could probably get rid of David pretty easily. I like what uh, Thomas Jefferson said this about the United States. He said, I hope our wisdom will grow with our power and teach us that the less we use our power, the greater it will be. That's a really hard lesson to learn. That as we gain influence, that we don't start making the world kind of about us. (laughs) I think us in the room right here, this might not be true for some of the children's ministry because right now they are the center of the universe. And that's all they can know. But you're grown up. You know better. You know that you're not the center of the universe anymore. You know there's other people and that that actually the sun revolves or the earth revolves around the sun. It doesn't revolve around you. You're not the center of everything. And so the question is, am I willing to be faithful, work hard, and never see the results in my lifetime? Really? I mean, ask yourself that for a second. You know, because you have incredible influence, incredible power and potential. Are you willing to use that for something that you will never see the results of? Really? Are you, are you willing to do that? Because I think God is looking for a generation of people who are willing to be used by him and never see the results in their life. I think about Abraham, right? He was this uh, really famous man in the Old Testament, very old guy, and God told him, you're going to have children as, as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. But he died with one child. And the book of Hebrews picks that up and says, all of these people died in faith. They died without receiving what God had promised. Well, that's an interesting thought. Are you willing to give up your life for something, for results that are beyond your lifetime? That's faith. (laughs) Be willing to do that. Being faithful means being used by God in a way that leaves the results up to God. So, what does Jonathan do in this situation? He sees this young boy come and is super successful. You know, this is what Jonathan does. And I want you to, to open up. This is down. We were in chapter 17. This is in 18, chapter 18. This is how we learn that Jonathan was there. And I think I, I never really knew that, that Jonathan next in line as king was there watching David do this. And in chapter 18, verse one, we find out that after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan 
killed him. No, Jonathan became one with with one in spirit with David, and he loved him. He loved him as himself. And I think a lot of times um, when I was growing up, we needed the flannel boards, or whatever, in church, and they taught you that you know David and Jonathan were like best friends or whatever. Well, realize Jonathan is like forty, and David's fifteen, right? This was like a mentorship. He saw this young kid and he's like, man, it, it says in verse two that from that day, Saul kept David with him. Why do you think that was? And did not let him return to his father's house because David, because Saul, remember Saul's king, he's jealous of David. Whereas Jonathan, who's next in line, just loves him. Just says, man, you have so much potential. In fact, it says Jonathan made a covenant with David, made him a promise. Because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David. His kingly robe. It meant, I'm next in line to be king. Right? He's kind of signifying, you know, the king, the kingdom is yours. <sighs> like, I earned, I, I rightfully am king next. But man, you got something. I'm going to give you the kingdom. Takes off his robe, gives it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. All of those symbols of him and his power, he's passing on to David. Um, and it was funny. Jonathan is the rightful king. And, and it's very likely that Jonathan doesn't even realize that David's already been anointed king before this moment happened. So, you know, uh, David has already sort of felt the calling and been told he's going to be the next king. Jonathan doesn't know that. He's already giving him the kingdom. Jonathan's really the only person standing in the way of David. But yet Jonathan takes that view of seeing the potential in him and wanting to bring that out rather than himself being king. And the story goes on. You'll see like in 1 Samuel 19, um, Jonathan warns David of a plot to kill him. And he's talking to his dad because Saul wants to kill David. Saul and Jonathan are both watching the same thing happen. David kills Goliath and Saul's like, that boy's going down. I, I, you know, my kingdom is at stake now. And this little boy, everybody's celebrating him. I need to get rid of him. So he's always trying to kill Saul and Jonathan's protecting him. Chapter 20, David's warned um, that Saul's after his life again. Jonathan finally realizes that his dad's out to kill David for real. And he just can't believe it. Jonathan never can believe like, why dad, why would you kill this guy? Why, why? You know, he has so much potential. Let's train him. Let's bring him up and let, like, let's follow what God's doing in his life. Let's not try to close that off. Let's use that. You know, David runs away from Saul. He's constantly just running and running. And Jonathan finds him during all that running. Jonathan goes out and finds him. And I want to show you what Jonathan's conversation with him was. Um, this is probably the last time that David and Jonathan get to speak. This is in 1 Samuel chapter 23, um, verse 15. It says, While David was at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, and you can just make up whatever words you want there because you know, nobody knows how to pronounce them, so just say whatever you want, okay? But say it confidently. He was at Horesh in the, David of Ziph, in the desert of Ziph. He learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. I don't even know if David would be able to find strength without Jonathan being there and Jonathan saying, hey, you can do this. 
You can do this, man. Find strength in God. In verse 17, he says, Don't be afraid, David. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You're going to be king over Israel, and I'll be second to you. Even my father knows this. Ooh, man, I think that's just so powerful if you really think what's happening right here. He's already given them some of the symbols and their, their friends. He's always kind of investing in his life and teaching him and seeing that potential in him. But this is the time where he actually like spells it out. He's like, you're going to be king and I'm going to be second to you. And I'm comfortable with that. You know, that is success. If you reach your potential and you become king, I'm happy because God gets the glory. This isn't about me becoming king next. It's about what God's doing. And I'm coming, you know, I'm being faithful with the calling that God's given me to, to build up the potential in you. Um, and that's kind of the last words that we see in scripture that were spoken between them. David continues to run. Saul continues to chase, chase him. And later, Saul and Jonathan both die in battle on the same day. So Jonathan dies. David becomes king. But you can imagine how heartbroken David is. You know, he, he's fulfilling his potential. He's becoming the king that God called him to be, but he lost such a friend. And I, I, I didn't have these uh, up on the screen or anything, but I wanted to read David's words about this, like how he just felt. Second Samuel chapter 1, he, he kind of makes up a song or writes this poem. And he's talking about Jonathan, he says, in, in uh, chapter 1, verse 25, how the mighty have fallen in battle. Jonathan lies slain on your heights. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. He says, your love for me was more wonderful, more wonderful than that of women. <laughs> so, you know, you always wonder, oh, what was going on there, right? That's what people kind of accuse them. And you got to think, think about what Jonathan's given up. He's given up everything. He gave up the kingdom. You know what? You don't read about Jonathan very much in the Bible, but we all we have statues of David, right? He's king. He's the famous one. <laughs> He's the one everybody knows about. You don't hear about Jonathan. Jonathan who? Like, there's a Jonathan in the Bible? Yeah. He's the one who poured his life and invested his life in this young boy who you know as David, who killed Goliath, did all these great things. But it was Jonathan who saw that potential, called it out, and developed it. And... Man, if the posture of your life could be, how can I help someone else get better? If that was our posture, how can I help someone else get better? You know, you've been given this tremendous potential to help someone else reach their potential. As a, as a church, think about it. You've, you've been given this gift to be a church in this area of the city to help the city reach its potential. It's not about you or even your lifetime in this generation. It's always about something bigger. It's always about something beyond your lifetime, results that you don't get to see in your life. Are you willing to give up your life for that? I hope so, because that's how God works. He works multi-generational. <laughs> he wants to use you to make a multi-generational impact. Man. So let me just give you a couple action steps. Okay, so you can walk away and you understand... I'm trying to teach you a little bit about how to invest in someone else's life. Okay. Step number one, look for potential 
and other people look for it. That's all. I mean, really change your mindset. Start when you see other people that you work with, people in your family that you thought were complete losers that now have no hope, you know, friends that you hang out with. You start seeing people indifferently. You start looking at people and thinking, what are, what's the potential that they have? Just, just to see it. That's all. First step. And maybe you don't see it in anyone else, right? You're like, man, you don't know the people I hang out with. They have no potential whatsoever. <laughs> okay. And I would say, if you don't see potential in someone else, it's just because you're not looking. It's just a mindset change. It's open up your eyes and start looking. And, and then step two, call it out, encourage it, recognize it. It's really simple to say to somebody, man, you've got a lot of potential. Doesn't that just feel good? Even just to hear it like you, man, you have potential. And it's not just fluff. You got to, you know, actually find someone, you know, see some potential in them. Okay. You don't just say, well, you got potential to be a complete loser, you know, whatever. It's, it's actually saying like, you can see someone do something really well and you notice it and recognize it. We're not real good at doing that, but we see it sometimes. Okay. We're looking at it. We see, man, that person's really good at that. Tell them. Okay. That's the next step. That's, that's a little bit different when you actually speak about it. You encourage them and build them up to say, Ooh, man, you can do it, right? Step three, and maybe some of you are called to develop it, to actually sort of teach somebody, help them with it, resource it, <laughs> you know, where you see that potential, you call it out, and then you say, you know what? I have, I have this book, or I have this friend, I have this, this connection, or whatever. We can help you reach your goals, you know? <laughs> we can put some resources to this. And... uh multiplying yourself, investing in other people. It's the most gratifying thing you can do in life. <laughs> Just take anything else away. And it's the best way to live, to raise up someone else under you. Maybe in your workplace where you're working, you know, you can, someone you can, that you can see potential in and maybe develop it, you know, and sometimes it's even Reverse in that maybe you're you feel like I'm the lowest least trained person on my team or where I work. You can develop potential in someone older than you, someone more skilled and more advanced than you, because that's how it works. When we develop potential in others, it like is encouraging to us also. You know, you could see someone doing a great job and you recognize it and call it out, and you can even ask like, "Well, help me figure out how you're so good at that." You know, work together as a team. Maybe here and even in the church, some of you are on teams, you help, you serve in some way. Look at the other people on the team and start encouraging them, building them up and saying, who's, who has some potential? You know, how can we grow this? Who has some potential in the church, even in your family? I mean, if you're a parent, that's what you've got to be thinking about with your kids is talking to them, speaking potential into their life. Man, there's, you know, really, there's so much power with the words that we have that we can almost speak someone's future into existence. Man, get on it. Start encouraging each other and talking it out, okay? We need each other. <laughs> we need each other. And we've got to have that mindset that we want to build each other up, right? We're the church. That's what we're here to do is build each other up. And, and to believe in each other, believe in ourselves, that we have potential that's given to us from God, a calling from God, and that we can strengthen each other with our words, with our actions. We're here to build each other up and strengthen each other. So don't wait to start investing your life in people. It, it's, all, it's never okay to wait. It's always okay to start investing in other people. Don't wait.
So I just want to pray for you and, and pray this a blessing that you would be able to see this, God, that you would speak to us in, in a way that, um, that each of us need to hear it because I think it's hard for us sometimes. I know there's people here that do not believe, first of all, that they have potential or that they can develop in someone else. Would you just break through all of the, the curses or whatever, all of the beliefs that are way not from you, break through the lies, and God, speak to someone's heart right now. Speak to them that they have what it takes because you've made them and you put it in them, the potential to make an impact in the world, God. Um, would you speak to the person who doesn't think that they're a leader, that they don't think they have anything to offer, God? Would you teach them that they have the potential to build up the potential in someone else? And God, would you bring someone to mind? Don't let us waste another moment without investing in someone else, giving our life to someone else. God, will we have the heart? Give us the heart of Jonathan just to give over the kingdom, give up our power and the need for control. And God, to love someone's life, to serve someone, to sacrifice our fame and our glory, to see you do something amazing in someone's life, God. Oh, would you use us to make other people's lives better? We trust that you're going to do this, God. In Jesus' name, amen.